0: To you about before then we get back to the Word of the Lord. John, the 10th chapter, verse 3. Mighty hot in here, isn't it? The old air conditioner is working, working, working. And I believe it's losing. Losing the battle. And when it loses, we lose. Well, it wouldn't hurt some of us to sweat off a few. <laughs> uh, I know what you're saying. Speak for yourself, Brother Grant. <laughs> John 10, verse 3. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. I want to talk to you tonight on the subject, Jesus, my personal Savior. Yes, I know Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Personal Savior. You see, sometimes as church grows, people can become involved collectively in the church, but not individually with God. And that's a very dangerous thing for a person to to do. And you will find cases in the Old Testament while unity is such a such a, a a great place to be. It's such a precious place to be, to have unity. You'll find that every now and then God calls some of the greatest cooperators to stand alone. Joseph for the most part, was reared outside of his own father's household in Egypt with all kinds of adverse circumstances coming his way. Yet, we do not find in the Scripture any marks against his character. He really stood alone. While all of Israel went into Babylonian captivity... Daniel was a man who, for the most part, stood alone. Now, there were others, the three Hebrew children who went in the fiery furnace. But uh, Daniel was put in a little bit different category with these men. And he stood among the kings of those empires as they changed hands, or that empire that changed headship, and basically stood alone. We're not really for certain in Acts of 28th chapter when Paul was going to Rome to Caesar to uh, plead his case there. If he made that trip alone, a lot of people think that he didn't because a plural pronoun we is used. Which indicates if Luke was the writer that in all probability Luke traveled with him. But Luke really never makes mention of himself. And Paul... Was shipwrecked going across the Mediterranean. He had already forewarned the people that uh, they should not sail. But there was a centurion there, and the Bible tells us that the that the shipmaster believed the words of the centurion above the words of the apostle Paul. Paul heard from God. He said, "We better not make this trip." Ah, uh, the centurion said, "Nothing's going to happen." But what happened was, just to be cautious, you know, he, he they sailed real close to the shoreline, which really does lead me to believe that deep down inside they thought old Paul was probably right. Well, what happened, a great storm came upon the, uh, the sea, and they were shipwrecked. Paul then kind of took control. The Holy Ghost just put him in a position in which he could take control. And when he reached out there and uh, heard the plea of the people, he began to give them instruction. They were shipwrecked. They threw all their belongings overboard, and finally they swam out themselves. And the Bible says not one hair of their head was lost. Now that's a miracle, isn't it? Not one hair from their head was lost. And they ended up on an island of Militia. And there there was a group of barbarous people. Now here's a man who is in chains. They have already taken the chains off of him now. Because all of a sudden God changes the circumstance and Paul is in control. Isn't that something how God... Can turn things around. And so, what happens is that the barbarous people, seeing that they were all cold, they began to build a fire. Now, I can just see in Paul's mind see, Paul was this kind of man. Wherever he was, he was going to do his part. And while he was the prisoner, he really had no obligation to anybody. These barbarous people began to build the fire. And what did Paul do? Did he walk over there shaking and say, oh boy, this is I'm freezing to death. And it was cold. The Bible says it was cold. He was wet and hungry and cold. And he everybody started warming their hands. But you know what Paul did? He started picking up sticks to put on the fire. See, that, that tells me something about that man's character. See, that's the kind of man he was. Paul was determined if I get warmth from the fire, I'm going to do my part in contributing to that fire. And you know, there's time, there are times in your Christian experience, and the reason why that I talk to you in the terms of the physical and ask you to do your part. Because you cannot separate the physical from the spiritual. And for the most part, people who are too lazy to do that which is physical is also too lazy to do the spiritual. And Paul was just the the type of man that he was going to do his part. Nobody was forcing him. He could have warmed his hands. He was a prisoner. I mean, who, who could have made him do anything? They locked him up because he didn't do what they wanted him to do to start with. But it was just his nature. And, and I can just see Paul, when he picks up sticks, if somebody would have walked up and asked him, Paul, why are you picking up sticks? I'm sure he would have looked up to say, to build my fire. I know there's enough Holy Ghost in this place to fill the whole world, and God is an omnipresent God. He's every place. But Paul was also the man that instructed us in the book of Ephesians, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be you filled with the Spirit. Paul was a type man, he wanted his own Holy Ghost too. He's going to build his own fire. I like to see people who, spiritually speaking, can build their own fires. And when the viper came out of that fire, what did Paul do? It latched itself onto his hand. He shook that thing off in the fire and just kept right on about his business. Do you know before the thing was over with, they were all bound down trying to make a god out of him. Isn't that right? That's what the Bible says that they did. Well, Paul was a tight man, physically speaking and spiritually speaking. Listen, he built his own fires and fought his own devils. And you see, that's what God wants in each and every one of us. And this is the reason that He wants to personalize His relationship with us, while unity is such a precious thing. And there is no premium that a church can pay that, would, uh, that could buy the unity that we feel right here, because there's no price tag that you can put on it. On the other hand, corporate religion... As far as as uh, your salvation is concerned is not what God's after. He wants a personal relationship with you. I like to see men who who become men. I mean real men. Every now and then I'll stop a, a young man. We do this in a Christian school a lot. Some of the young men want to walk with their shoulders down. You know kind of slouch around. I said, "Look, Lift up your shoulders. I think all men ought to be able to square their shoulders. Can you do that, men? You know, all men ought to be able to square their shoulders. In other words, get the complex off of you. What are you ducking your head for? You see, when Paul explains the holiness standards to a woman... In 1 Timothy 3, he also talks about the man, and it starts in his attitude. And he says, the hands that hang down. Is that what he says? Let's just turn there. I'm sure off subject already, so (laughs) who cares? 1 Timothy 3, or 2, pardon me. 1 Timothy 2, verse 8. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now, the word doubt is found there, and the word wrath is found there. And this kind of represents a complex that people can, can live under. You let a person really get free. And you know what that person does when they lift their hands up to the Lord? Hallelujah! Praise God! Thank you, Jesus! You let them not feel that freedom because they haven't fully repented. You know how they pray? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now you know I'm telling you the truth. <clears throat> There's just something about it. And so what he's saying is men ought not to have a complex. Square their shoulders. Lift their heads. Take their hands that hang down. Hallelujah! Praise God! Thank you, Jesus! Glory! What he's saying? Let men be men. Build your own fires. Fight your own devils. Have a personal relationship with God yourself. Praise God. Now, that's what I get out of all of that. That's what the—that's what Paul is saying. And that's, you know, if there's anything that the devil wants to do, is to make you feel that you attend a good church that's on fire and you're a part of it, yet down inside, you're not feeling the necessity of contributing like everybody else. And some people just kind of ride free. Now, you never thought whenever I talked about Jesus knowing our own name. He does know my name. I know that Jesus knows my name. And I'm so very, very glad that Jesus knows my name. You know, the the Baptist people use the term personal Savior. And when I was growing up, I would occasionally go to vacation Bible school. And the way they used it, it was kind of a turnoff to me. But it seems like as I get older... Uh, That term seems to be more appealing to me than ever before. Uh, Just before service, I got on the phone and called my dad. My dad's been taking cobalt treatments for cancer. And uh, he wrote me a card this past week, and on the card he put his phone number. Well, he knows that I know his phone number because I've already called down there. (laughs) Well, he didn't say, son, please call me. I could just kind of read that. What I saw on the bottom is his phone number. And he wrote it real big. I just talked with him a few days before. But you see, in a personal relationship... Now, I'm his only son. and, and, And I know how relationships go. You see, Paul compared the husband and wife relationship to Christ and the church. Collectively speaking, the reason why that we are forbidden to love the world is because God is a jealous God. The truth of the matter is, a husband and wife relationship cannot and will not be healthy and will not work unless the husband has the assurance that his wife loves him more than she loves any other individual in the world. And all of us need somebody to love us more than they love anybody else. There's just something about that. Because the relationship can never be as intimate as it should be unless... There is that type of devotion. On the other hand, the church knows and has the assurance that Jesus loves them more than He loves anybody else. And so we are forbidden to love the world simply because that God is a jealous God. God needs that. And we need it. Why did God make man anyway? Somebody said, well, God made man so that man could praise him and adore him. Now, I'm not really convinced of that. While that should be our obligation. That is our responsibility, and the Lord certainly cherishes our love and our praise. Somewhere prior to the beginning, because it was said of Lucifer, since the beginning iniquity was found in thee, Somewhere prior to the beginning, or sometime prior to the beginning, Lucifer, along with a third of all the angels of heaven, rebelled, and they were cast out. God, being the God that he is, by nature, liking to show love, wanting to show love, it appears that when he made the heavens and the earth and all the creatures, that he reached down and made a man in his own likeness and his own image, why? So that man could praise Him? Remember, so God had another avenue by which He could love. Now, I definitely believe that's true, and that's the reason why that Jesus went to the cross. While we were yet sinners, He died for us. We love Him now. Why? Because He first loved us! You see, He wanted that type of relationship while Collectively, God lo- God loves Brenda as much as he loves me, but there's something about the relationship that I have with the Lord that's so personal and so intimate. I like to think God loves me more. Now, you may say, Brother Grant, how childish. Well, you got to be like a child entering the kingdom of God. You know, and I've had my children, i had three boys, and I've had them all to come up to me, and just little children, and they'd sit on my knee, and I'd give them something, and they'd say, uh, did, did you give Roy and John that? <laughs> and You could read between the lines, and, and what you were reading is, do something for me that you don't do for anybody else. They, they just want it so much. I've even had them to say, do you love me as much as you love Roy and Steve? You see, that's children for you. And if you say, now analyze it, son. Am I supposed to really love you more than the others? They'd say, oh, no. But it just makes me good, feel good, see, to talk like that to you, Dad. And you see, while God is omnipresent, I mean, He's everywhere. You cannot go anywhere where God is not. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. He himself chooses to personalize his relationship with you. And that's the reason why he said, you know, I know every one of my sheep. I know them by name. Doesn't it make you feel good to know that God knows your name, Perry Hicks, Brian Downey? Rich Brown, Pat Huber, does that make you feel good? When you get down on your knees to know that Jesus Christ is not just the universal presence of a supreme power, but a God who wants to personalize his relationship by sitting down right where you are and talking to you and calling you by name. Now this may surprise you or shock you to hear me say this, but I think one of the greatest points about using the name of Jesus is the fact that you personalize God and He likes it. And when you call His personal name, it does something to God that nothing else will do. And we are commanded in the Scripture to cast out devils in His name, to baptize in His name. And whatever we do, in word or in deed, we do all in the name of the Lord. He wants us to call His personal name. When Carol Cole went down this morning, I heard the name of God called His personal name. Praise God. Brother Seidel... In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we baptize you for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He had already told her that God will take all of your sins and cast them out as far as the east is from the west. Praise God. And you know the reason why that God came to the planet earth? He came to the planet Earth to personalize his relationship with man. Because man, right now, the whole world would be in hell if God had not personalized his relationship with man. That's what he wants. He doesn't want us to collectively serve him. You see, it's possible while everybody else is feeling the Lord, you get a little splash over and get out and kind of shout a little bit yourself. Isn't it true that when the preacher's anointed, you can feel it? And when he's not anointed, you feel that too, don't you? See? And isn't it true when somebody's dancing in the Spirit, you just get such a blessing by watching... I really mean that when when some of these sisters are worshiping up here I, I just looked up and and wow it was so great it's fantastic just to see them as they they just adored the lord and oh the Holy Ghost was present it's present right now. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. And you can sit collectively in a church where we're given a victory hand clap like we are right now. Let's do that. And you see, everybody feels victory. I mean, everybody feels victory. There are people feeling victory right now that's never felt a personal victory in their whole life, though. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. But you see, what you got to learn to do is stand on your own two feet, build your own fires, cast out your own devils, and feel victory by yourself. Praise God. That's what God wants. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. I say, that's what God wants. And hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I've told you this, and I've even told the Lord. There have been times in my soul when I didn't feel like praising the Lord. I'd be tired, and I'd be weary. I'd get up uh, from the bed uh, where I was trying to pray, the bedside. I use that as a family altar in the evening. I've gone out on the patio and I've lifted my hands. And there I just begin to pray. And I said, now Lord, I feel very tired and I'm weary. But you see, uh, if all the weeping I do, and if all the praying I do, and if all the shouting I do, and if the only time I feel victory is when I'm with my brother and my sister, I'm most hypocritical. Because this was never meant to be confined to the four walls of a building. But God, let me feel victory right out here. And right there in the blackness of the night as you lift your hands, somehow you can just feel that your spirit is being lifted up past the stars, past the moon, past all the planets, and there you've got your own victory. Clap your hands and talk in tongues and feel God. Feel victory for yourself. Hallelujah. There's nobody around to hear you. Nobody, nobody. But it's just a relationship that you're enjoying personally with God. Now, Lord, I know your name. Your name is Jesus. You know my name. It's John Grant. Jesus, one day I took your name. That means I'm associated with you. You had to know me, Lord, for you called me out of a world of sin. You forgave all my sins when I appeared before the judgment seat of Christ. Lord, You'll you'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. At least You told me that in the Bible. I believe it, God. Now you see, I want more than than a pulpit relationship. I want more than a collective, corporate relationship. I love my brothers and I love my sisters, and there's nothing that can compensate for that. But on the other hand, Lord, separate and apart from that, I also need something personal. Let's talk about something, Lord, that i never talked to anybody about before. And then you begin to talk to the Lord about your problems and so forth. Listen, I've told the Lord about a lot of things. And I've asked God, now, Lord, I want you to talk to me about my problems. If you see things in me that's not complimentary to you, if there's some attitude that's gotten me, if some bitterness has come upon me, for some reason I am not merciful as I'm supposed to be or whatever, If I'm not as charitable, God, I want you to talk to me, Lord. Just talk to me. Last evening I went out on the patio, and I guess this is the reason why I can say this. Such a beautiful time with the Lord. Two chairs out there, one was empty. I sat in one, and the Lord just, I know he came by, and he sat right there. and I talked to him just like I'm talking to you tonight. Praise God. I had a few things I need to settle with the Lord. Just a few frustrations. I've just been running this past week and checking all around. A few things I didn't get done here and going next week for the camp up in Minnesota. And and now, Lord, you're just going to have to cover for me. Some of the people of our church have every right in the world to be irritable at me because I have not been the best pastor for the last six months or so. Lord, you'll just have to cover for me. And if you come up to me and say, Brother Grant, you, you, you've you really been neglecting us. Uh, all I can say is, you're right, I really have. I don't want to, but I have. And uh, if you're complaining about it, well, then you've got every right in the world to complain. You see, you got to settle those things with the Master, though, because, you see, I'm really working for Him. Uh, you know, He called me. Uh, you, you really didn't. He, he did. And, and all that I do for you, while I love you, I, I really do it unto Him. That's what the Scripture says. Right. And, and so, as a result, uh, my repentance was to Him because I felt like I had neglected Him. Now, Lord, I really neglected You. I've eaten more meals in the car lately. I told you this one time. I really have than I've eaten at my home. I don't like that. I really don't like it. I've been alone a lot with the Lord. But you see, while you're just working on figures and working on Bible studies and working on all of this, you know, it is true that you can... You can you can lose that personal touch with God. Who would have more time to pray than a man who's on the road all the time, like Brother Washburn and myself and some of you others that are salesmen? Yeah, you know, it's really hard to do. And the reason why is because you're always in a rush. And there's something about that tenseness. And and you got to push it. And you got to be here at a certain time. And, and when you get there, you got to do this. And... You get kind of all tied up in a knot, you know, and you got memories. If I could just get back to church, and if I could just find my place by my bedside where I like to pray. You know, I'm kind of a homebody. I don't know what it is about my bedroom. I like that place down there by my bed where I pray. I met the Lord there many times. I just like that spot. I really like it. Got a place in my office. I really like it, and so you can become so attached, though, to spots. See, Jesus put it this way. He said, "Now, let me ask you a question." I'm talking to the Pharisees, he said, "Who's greater, the altar or the the, the build of the altar?" I. Uh, I went into a real modern church one time and preached, and they were considering me to be the pastor. And boy, they had fl- fixed that place up. You talk about flucy; it was nice. I mean, it was really it was nice. It was, and right down in the front, they had this old board altar. I mean, splinters and knots, and and it was just uh, I, it just didn't fit. So I asked. Uh, uh, I asked the, the, the people of the church, I said, uh, you know, when I was preaching, I said, this is just a nice building and everything. I'd just like to ask the question, uh, why you have such a different and unique setup on the altar? <laughs> you know, I want to be nice about it. <laughs> and uh, I found out after service, because I just got bombarded by so many people, you cannot believe the people came and said, Oh, when we built our church, we wanted it nice. But one thing, we cried tears on that altar, and we prayed through to the Holy Ghost on that altar, and we told the pastor, You can change the pews and the carpet, and put stained glass windows and spruce this place up, but we're keeping that altar. Wouldn't take anything for that altar. It seemed to me like the altar was more personal to them than the God of the altar. You see, there are times in our lives in which God changes directions. My house could burn, and so I have no patio to talk to God in the blackness of the night. And I have no bedroom by which I kneel at the bed to call upon His name. The church here. We're talking about moving from this. I want to have that office in the back. But this one thing for sure, prior to his ascension into the heavens, he said, "Lo, I am with you all the way even to the end of the world. And so all of these things can be taken away from us But if we have that personal relationship, that intimate excitement with God, nothing can pluck us out of His hand. For there is no height, nor no depth, nor width, nor breadth. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And you see, that's what the Scripture is telling us. God wants us to have a personal relationship with Him While He is omnipresent and omniscient and omnipotent, He wants us to personalize our relationship with Him. Have you ever just sat down and said, God, I'm in trouble and I know you love me. I know that you love me, God. I know that you know my name. The sparrows that ate our bird feeder today, Lord, you even know them by name. Not one of them drops what you don't say. Oh, there he went you kind of mark it out of your book. Every time I comb my hair and lose one, you subtract it. And you know all these things about me, God, and knowing this, Lord. You see, you're not going to forget me, are you? No, you're not going to forget me. Never in a million years. And John the 14th chapter, Jesus talks about the Holy Ghost. And I like the way that He... That uh, He puts it, John 14, verse 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in My name, He shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, I want to read that Scripture first and explain this. You see, the word Comforter is taken from the Greek word paraclete and uh, it means one who are a source that assists or to brings comfort now he points out the holy ghost but you know the reason why that he he compares he compares I said compares he explains and defines the holy ghost as being a comforter you see jesus christ was the holy one And he was the Holy One that gave his life upon the cross and departed into the heavens. Now he said, uh, I'm going to come back. I'll send you another comforter. While, While he was here, he comforted people, did he not? Look in verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you, how long? Forever. Now while Jesus was here, what did he do? He ministered to people. Jesus went about doing good. You know, contrary to a lot of Christians who go about, Jesus went about doing good. See, you can become so busy going about that you forget that you're supposed to do good. Jesus healed the brokenhearted. He unstopped deaf ears. He took the maimed and the halt, and He healed them. He did all manner of good things for people. I have seen a few films in my lifetime about Jesus, and I just never have liked any of them that I've seen. Because they made Jesus appear to be such a spooky individual. Like maybe He was connected to the unseen world in such a way that that you know, he just kind of captured everybody, and and so when Jesus spoke, you know, they 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 put this real spooky air about him. They they're trying their best to make him look like deity. But the truth of the matter is, when 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 God chose to visit the earth. He disguised his deity by putting on a robe of personal human flesh. That's the way he wanted it. (laughs) Why? So he could become one with man and warm with man. This is the reason why when they came around, they looked and they said, Are you a man or are you God? You do the works of God, but you look so, so much like a man. Isaiah the prophet even said, There is no beauty that we should desire to look upon him. Was he, was he handsome? Well, he, he, you know, he might have been an average guy as far as good looks is concerned, but not to the point that when he walked in they said, What a knockout. <laughs> you know, wasn't that type of man. He was the type of man could just be around for a while. You know, even a couple of times when he stopped performing miracles, he slipped out among them unnoticed. Where did that common looking guy go? He kind of got lost among the crowd. Now, when Jesus was here, he was a comforter. But when he left, he said, I will send you another comforter. Now, if you read through this, and we'll be reading through more of it, another comforter comforter means another manifestation of God, not another God. God but another manifestation. I'll show you why it has to be interpreted this way. But you see, Jesus was the Holy One that was disguised in human flesh, that was a comforter. He ascended. When the Bible was translated in 1609 in the King James Version, they used the word ghost. And the reason why they used the word ghost instead of spirit is because this is vernacular that the English understood at that time. A spirit is a, de- is, is, is a departed individual who's come back. And of course they, they used the, the term, not spirit, but ghost. You've heard of the stories of the haunted houses and all this. And, and some people really got caught up in this. It was over in Europe that Halloween and all this kind of stuff started. Now please understand, I'm not connecting the Scripture with that except from the standpoint of getting you to understand something. When you think of a ghost, what do you think of? Now there's no such thing as a haunted house. But if you went in a haunted house, if you did, I'm saying if, and you, know, you knew that there was a ghost in that house... What would you do? You'd probably slip around. You'd be very careful. You'd look at the old shades and the curtains as they breathed. You could just see a ghost back there. You'd just stand there shaking. Well, you see, Jesus knew when He talked about the Spirit and He talked about God that that was going to be the reaction of these people. Now I'm going to go away, but I'm going to come back in Spirit form. <laughs> well, if you don't believe that, look when He walked upon the water. What happened to them? Oh, listen, they were just uh, they were just paddling Dixie out there and trying to trying to get across the other side. And and they looked up and they saw this figure walking on the water. And what they do? Everybody dropped down. All of a sudden you see somebody look up. What in the world? Man, somebody walking on the water. The Bible says they perceived it was a spirit. Lay down, boys. Play dead. (laughs) When Jesus saw them... All of those eyeballs lined up. Looking over the top. What did he say? He cupped his hands and said, Be not afraid! It's just me! It's Jesus! Whew. You scared us to death, Lord. <laughs> oh, my. Okay, boys, at ease. Get up and breathe. Scared to death. Isn't that how they acted? You look in the Bible when men saw ghosts. I don't know how I'd... I say ghosts when they saw angels. I don't know really how I'd act if I saw an angel. I would prefer to do like Paul said when he said, Some have entertained angels unaware. (laughs) I say, Lord, if if you're going to send an angel my way, send a 20th century 1984 one. One who looks just like me. (laughs) Give him an all-American haircut and make him look just like me. And you know the Lord does that, but he doesn't always do it that way because, you see, there were times when people just scared to death of of angels. And you see, when the Lord spoke of the, the spirit that's going to come back, he said, now, now, before you get all uptight about this, this spirit that's going to come back is going to be a, a it's going to be different. It's going to be a comforter. I'll use my wife here. Come up here, Sister Grant. <sighs> now, basically, from the Greek, what the comforter meant here was, you have seen many, many times individuals who have lost loved ones. Have you ever gone to a funeral and you have seen that sobbing mother or that sobbing wife walk up to the casket? And she was so heartbroken that she couldn't even stand up. And the comfort from the Greek means one who goes alongside to assist the broken-hearted and the bereaved, and quite often you'll find some family member. It's all right, honey. <laughs> who? Uh, <laughs> you'll find some family member who goes alongside. Now, it's always a family member who goes alongside. You see, we're in his family. We're his friend. And what do they do? They walk alongside to offer what? Strength and comfort to that individual. And when the Lord was saying, but the Holy Ghost that will come back, He said, now, it's not going to be that spooky thing, you know, that you you think of. Don't don't hit the deck, boys. Because it's going to be another comforter. Another comforter? Yes, just like I've comforted you. Then the Holy Spirit's going to comfort you too. In other words, the Holy Ghost is going to have a real comforting touch. You're going to, it's going to be easy for you to relate to the Holy Ghost. It's going to be easy for you to cast all your cares upon Him. It's going to be easy for you to lean upon Him. <laughs> Isn't that what you see at funerals and places where people are heartbroken? You see, and that's what the Lord is saying. That's the type of relationship that He wants with us. That's it, brothers. I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever. And the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now, he said, he dwelleth with you. He's talking of himself. But it shall be in you. Now, notice what he says. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come again. The Holy Ghost is the spirit of the holy departed one. Yet a little while in the world seeth me no more but you see me because i live ye shall live also at that day you shall know that i am in the father and ye in me and i in you you see that's the that's the real type of relationship that god wants with us now i spoke this morning on the foundation of the church and uh, i explained Revelation 21, where the names of the apostles were on the foundations of the city. Do you know the reason why that I believe that the city rests upon twelve foundations? Basically, God is the foundation. It's really one foundation. But twelve? It appears this is what He did. He took the foundation of the city. You may not believe this, but I believe it. I believe that I have two homes that are under construction. The one out on Felden Road I've been working on since I've been there. It's taken me a long time. But I believe that up in the holy city, That the Lord Himself is building my home. It's mine. He's doing it for me. I love unity, but cooperative victory is not enough for this preacher. I want it myself with God. I rejoice when you have your miracles, but let me have that personally in God. I like to hear you dance in the Spirit to see you, but give me some for myself. I love your smile, but let me have my own. You teach your Bible studies, but let me teach my own. You testify about how God's blessed you, but let me have that relationship myself. Jesus Christ knows my name. He is my comforter. He is my Savior. He is my healer. By His stripes I am healed. His blood saved me. He's preparing a mansion for me. I personally took on His name. He knows my name. And one of these days, I don't know how He's going to do it, but when the church is called home, He's going to call me by name. Hallelujah. Let me ask you, brother, Let me ask you, sister. How long has it been since you have personalized your relationship with the Master? You see, the apostles put it like this. He said, let us bring every thought into captivity. Let us gird up the loins of our mind. Basically, what he's saying is whether we be Two feet apart or ten thousand miles apart, prayer is not to be, not to be prayed. It's not to be rendered just for your neighbor, but it is a real sacred and private relationship with God. Praise God. And maybe we have someone here who has never given their heart to the Lord. You know, it gets lonely out in the world. For basically the world is so greedy and selfish. It's just a... The rat race of our society... Seems to take away from everything. You may say, but Brother Grant, I don't know that I need that. Don't tell me that you don't. Why do you think that in the age of the hippie movement that this term individuality became such a great thing? All of the hippies were saying, let me be an individual. The problem is they stereotyped the hippie. And they all blended together. So that which they fought against, they fell a victim to. See, that's the problem with the world. There's only one way that you can be what you ought to be. And that is have your own personal relationship with God. Would you stand right now? Hallelujah. We sing a beautiful chorus here entitled, Come into my chamber, sweet Holy Spirit. I want to sing it. I want to sing it directly to the Lord, and you do the same. On both sides of our pulpit, there is a place for you to kneel and pray. And for some reason, it's been some time since you've really called upon the name of the Lord the way you should. Why don't you just step out and come up here and bury your head right down between your arms and call on His name personally. Come into my chamber, sweet Holy Spirit. Speak to me gently, As I close the door Heavenly lover Let thy presence hover Shekinah unending Is all I long for You know, my dad had been down in the cancer clinic. They let him come home for the weekend because he wanted to go to church, and he's going back in the morning. My closing remarks to him went like this. Dad, it means a lot to be able to talk to you, and I sure love you. He began to weep, and he said, You know, son, it means so much for me to hear you say that. And did you know that God is listening and longing for you to say, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. You've always been with me, God. you have stuck by my side. That's, that's what He wants from you. That's what He wants from me. Come into my chamber. Sweet Holy Spirit, speak to me gently as I close the door. Heavenly Lover, let Thy presence hover a kind indeed is all I long for people are coming already sing it Sister Grant would you step out right now and come and give your heart to the Lord to my step out right now create a personal Holy relationship Spirit. start an intimacy with the Lord but he's warning you all. Let as, you, uh, I, gently as I close the door. door.